Good morning. It is a joy to be here with you this morning. I'm excited to be here. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Simon, Simon Jones, and uh, I spend most of my time uh, serving with, uh, with the students of our church. It is a great privilege and pleasure to teach your children. Um, being around teenagers so much, though, occasionally makes me think about my high school years in beautiful South Carolina, uh, despite the fact that every day high school is more and more a fading memory for me, I do um, recall the first time my youth pastor asked me to speak in front of uh, my youth group. I was probably like 16 years old at the time, and uh, my youth group's probably like a solid 100 students. It was kind of big. And I recall asking someone for advice, because this was the first time I had ever spoken in, such, in front of a large group of people, and I was nervous, and I think it was my brother, and he said I should start with a joke. Uh, so I did, and uh, I remember the joke, so I thought I'd, I'd start with it today as well. Um, it went something like this. Um, it, uh, why, was the, uh, why was the teacher cross-eyed? It was because it was she couldn't control her pupils. That was, and she just went... The reaction, I recall, wasn't quite what I was going for. Um, similar to today. Uh, I've changed in many ways since high school. Um, however, it would be a bit of a stretch to say that my sense of humor has matured, unfortunately. Either way, it, uh, it was during high school, about this time, uh, that I, along with a group of my friends from church, went to a, a Christian student leadership conference in uh, Washington, D.C., with uh, our senior pastor. And I don't remember a whole lot about that conference. I don't know what the majority of speakers spoke about, but uh, one memory has stayed with me. I recall, I do not recall, rather, who was speaking, but uh, he said something along the lines of, how many of you in this room can recite from memory 30 verses of Scripture? 30 verses. A few hands out of a room of several hundred high school students who were leaders of their youth group. Few hands went up. Few. Uh, my senior pastor's hand went up, though. Um, then the, uh, the speaker asked the same question, but said 25 verses, and then 20 verses, then 15 verses, then 10 verses. Uh, how many of you in this room can recite from memory 10 verses from the Bible? And the answer for me was no. I could not raise my hand. Ten verses. I grew up in the church. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I've gone to church. I have faithful parents. I knew the Bible stories. By the grace of God, when I was a child in his unmerited favor, he showed me my need for a savior and he changed my heart. I had been at this point in my life a follower of Christ for ten years but from my memory, I couldn't even recite ten verses of his holy word. In my mind, I knew this was not right. It's not right. How could I credibly claim and believe that the Bible is the infallible, inspired, perfect word of God and not have committed to memory ten verses? I'd love to say that this was the decisive turning point that a light turned on, I got serious about the study and memorization of God's word. Uh, however, it would turn out to be a longer journey. That shame and guilt that I felt, though, when I was in high school, at that moment, that shame I felt, uh, I've not forgotten. We have been in a series this summer called Nope, That's Not in the Bible, 
where we've taken a number of common sayings or expressions that you hear or that you've heard, sayings that sound good, sayings that sound like they may be in the Bible, but are in fact not in the Bible. Today, in the final message of this series, I aim to magnify the Bible as the infinitely valuable Word of God and to answer the question, how can we protect ourselves and guard ourselves from believing any distortion of the Bible? How do we do that? And I will challenge all of us. I will challenge you. Will you give yourself to knowing God's Word? Let's pray. Father in heaven, almighty God, thank you for this day that you've given us that's a gift. Thank you for your sustaining grace. I pray, Father, this morning that you incline our hearts to your word, that you open our eyes to see the beauty of it, that you unite our hearts to fear your name, that you remove distractions, that you satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love. Father in heaven, help me be faithful to your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The point of reciting those verses, Psalm 1, Psalm 16, Psalm 46, Psalm 139, Romans 8, 31 through 39, is to inspire you to challenge you, to encourage you, and to plead with you, to give yourself to knowing and memorizing God's word. If the question that we are answering this morning is how can we guard and protect ourselves from believing distortions of God's word, in some ways the answer is obvious. Know the Bible. Know God's word. Know it. Do you know it? I do not mean can you merely memorize it, because one of the really scary things is that being able to recite scripture is no sure guarantee that you know it. Do you remember the story in Matthew, when the Sadducees, who were like the really religious people, these were like the primo religious guys, they came and asked Jesus a question to try to trap him. And Jesus answers their question and then stings them with this rebuke. Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine says this, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus tells them they didn't know the scriptures. These people had large parts of the Old Testament memorized. They could recite more scripture than anyone in this room. 
And Jesus says, they didn't know the scriptures. This is crazy. What does it mean to know the scriptures? Reciting scripture does not equal knowing scripture. They are not the same. Undeniably, in order to know it, you must have read it. But it goes beyond that. It is more than merely intellectual. The devil can memorize scripture. He quoted it to Jesus in the wilderness to tempt him. But the devil doesn't know it, at least not in the right way. He doesn't know the scripture in its moral beauty, in its distinct glory, in its complete trustworthiness, and its priceless value. He, most importantly, doesn't know and love the God who wrote it and the God whom it reveals. The Bible reveals who God is. Knowing the scriptures is the means of knowing God. John Calvin wrote, We owe to scripture the same reverence which we owe to God, because it has proceeded from him alone and has nothing of man mixed with it. God wrote a book, and this is how we know him. God chose to preserve and transmit his revelation of himself to the world in a book. He was no, under, under no obligation to, but he chose to write a book. We have no other authoritative access to the knowledge of God or, to li- or how to live a life that pleases him. His thoughts, his words, his heart are all right there. We can read it whenever we want. We can carry it wherever we go. When we open the Bible, we see God himself in that book. We either meet him here or we don't meet him, at least not with any hope of friendship. Reading the Bible is one of the most important things we can do in life. It's more valuable than anything I own. The psalmist cries out, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How sweet are your words to my mouth. Sweeter than, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. But admittedly, that's not always how we feel. The pathway to knowing God and knowing the Bible is not an easy one. There are many obstacles. It's not for the lazy or the indifferent. Studying the Bible takes discipline and resolve. But resolve can only carry us so far. At root, the reason many of us don't read our Bible is that we don't want to read the Bible. We don't see life when we see that book on our shelf. We see a boring book, not boundless beauty. So we stay in bed and miss the miracle. God wrote a book. And with these words, God awakens the dead, comforts the depressed, guides the confused, instructs the humble, strengthens the weak, inspires the downtrodden, frees us from sin, empowers us to make our lives count for his cause, and satisfies us completely in him. Let us press on to know it, to know the God whom it reveals. If we want to guard ourselves from believing distortions of God's word, we must know God's word. But how? How do we know it? Well, I thought of three things, at least three things we must do. First, we must meditate on God's word. We must meditate on God's word. To know God's word, you've got to meditate on God's word. Meditation goes beyond reading. To be sure, it begins with reading, but it goes beyond that. However, even before we get to reading, there's something we must do first. 
We must pray. Hear me. Please hear me. Before we read God's word, we must pray. Or we're just wasting time. J.C. Ryle wrote, Bibles read without prayer, sermons heard without prayer, the daily act of private prayer itself hurried over or gone through without heart, these are the kind of downward steps by which many a Christian descends to a condition of spiritual palsy or reaches the point where God allows him to have a tremendous fall. Why is it so important that we pray? Because in my natural state, in my default state, I'm blind to the beauty and the glory of the gospel. I can't see it. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says, The God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I need help if reading the Bible is to be more than a mere academic exercise. If the living God does not open our hearts to the word of God, we can read it a hundred hours a week and never see the glory of what it says or of the one who gave it. This is why the Apostle Paul prays in Ephesians 1 that the eyes of our hearts be enlightened. This is a prayer to God. There is a spiritual sight that God must give. The Bible is the precious and infallible word of God. And there is a glory, a manifest beauty, a visible excellence, a peculiar splendor, a divine majesty in the Bible that can be perceived only if God gives us sight to behold it. We don't want to be like the Pharisees and Sadducees who seeing they did not see. This is why, if reading God's word ceases to move your affections, the remedy is not reading less, but pleading more. Help me. Help me, God. Help me see. Help me see your glory. Help me see what's in these words. Don't stop reading. Pray. Do you find the Bible boring and tedious? Do you find it blank and uninspiring? Have you prayed? Have you pleaded? Have you asked for God's help? So what exactly do you pray? Um, I heard John Piper put it in an acronym once. He, I-O-U-S. Pray I-O-U-S. Pray I. Incline my heart to your testimonies. That's Psalm 119.36. The psalmist asks God to incline his heart to God's word. What does this mean? It means that the psalmist's heart wasn't inclined to God's word. And I must confess in the morning, my heart's not inclined to God's word either. When I wake up, I'm grumpy and tired and anxious, which is why I need to ask God, help me. Pray, oh, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things out of your word. That's Psalm 119.18. Without prayer, we can go to the Word and not see anything. Just stare at a page and see nothing. So we pray, God, open my eyes. Give me sight of your glory. Pray you. Unite my heart to fear your name. That's Psalm 8611. Almost always, my heart and mind are fragmented and divided, going every direction. I get distracted from the noise coming from outside, to the anxieties coming from inside about work and relationships and money. So we plead, God, help me get my heart together. Unite my heart. Free me from distraction. Help me focus now. And we pray, S, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Psalm 94, 11. 
pray before you read. Satisfy me this morning with you. Help me be content. Satisfy me with your word this morning. Pray to God to open your eyes, to unite and incline your heart, and to satisfy your soul. And then when you've done that, then you open the book. The reformer Martin Luther wrote, The Bible is a remarkable fountain. The more one draws and drinks of it, the more it stimulates thirst. You should completely despair of your own sense and reason, for by these you will not attain the goal. Rather, kneel down in your private little room and with sincere humility and earnestness pray God through his dear Son graciously to grant you his Holy Spirit to enlighten and guide you and give you understanding. Bible reading is not magic. It's not an elixir which eliminates all of your problems, like you're waving a magic wand and suddenly your problems disappear. Don't think of Bible reading as a way to manipulate God. It's the way that we know God. And this I know for sure. There is a spiritual diet without which no Christian can be holy and healthy and fruitful. And that is the diet of the Word of God. So do you read it? Do you read it? And if not, why not? A lot of people say, time, I don't have the time. That's a common reason. I understand it. We're busy. Um, Did you know it takes a person reading at an average pace, just an average reader, 70 hours to read the Bible from cover to cover. 70 hours to read the whole thing. Uh, Did you know that 70 hours is less, far less time, than the average American spends in front of a screen every month? Uh, So let me just state the obvious implication. Um, If you would exchange screen time for Bible time, you could actually read the Bible in less than a month. Does that seem a little bit ambitious? It might. Okay, okay. If you read the Bible for 15, that's one five, 15 minutes per day, you could read the Bible through in less than one year. 15 minutes a day for an average reader, 15 minutes a day. Does that seem within reach? Does that seem possible? Do we have 15 minutes a day for God's word? I sure hope we do. Uh, Another reason people may not read the Bible is that they don't understand it or they find it confusing. Uh, Firstly, this is not a problem unique to our time. Once again, Martin Luther, who's a great theologian, he wrote to a friend as he was studying Ecclesiastes. He wrote this to a friend in a letter. Solomon the preacher is giving me a hard time. As though he begrudged anyone lecturing on him. But he must yield. Luther, one of the greatest minds that God has given the church, was struggling to understand the Bible. However, he didn't find the difficulty of studying the Bible a reason to give up, but a reason to press on. There are hard things, no doubt. There are hard passages in the Bible, and we will not have complete understanding in this lifetime. However, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. The Westminster Confession of Faith says those things which are necessary to be known believed and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of scripture that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. Understanding the Bible is possible. 
However, it does require the due use of ordinary means. It requires work. So here's some, once again, simple counsel if we struggle with the Bible being hard to understand. Firstly, um, invest in a good modern English translation of the Bible. We have an embarrassment of riches in terms of translations available to us in English. What a blessing it is to be able to read the Bible in our language. And the Bible is not written in English, it was translated into English at great cost to many men's lives. There are over 7,000 languages in the world. Roughly 1,800 of those languages, which over 200 million people speak, still need a Bible translation to begin in their language. To begin in their language. Can we be thankful today that we have the Bible in English? We have God's word in English that we can read that's on all of our smartphones? Buy a Bible. Then buy a study Bible. There are so many good study Bibles. You know the Bibles that have like the notes below the text? Those are great resources with good cross-references and notes to explain meaning and context. Do you have a study Bible? Buy a study Bible. Then write down questions that you have as you read to ask people that are mature and faithful. I'm guessing such people would be happy to discuss God's word with you. A great place to do this is in a life group. Get involved in one if you're not. Are you in a life group? Are you in a small group? Are you in that Christian community where you can have these discussions about God's word? It takes work. Use a daily Bible reading plan. There are so many to choose from. They're all over the internet. One is not better than another. There are plans that take you through the Bible in one year. There are plans that take you through the Bible in two years. There are plans that have readings from two different books. There are plans that have readings from four different books. I don't really care which one you use. What is more important than the actual plan is the fact that you're in the Bible every day. Press on. If you miss a day, it's okay. Don't give up. Have a plan, have a time, have a place set aside for the specific purpose of reading God's word. Set aside a time. Don't let the excuse of I don't understand be a reason why we don't read God's word. Some people may even say, I go to church on Sunday regularly, and that's enough, so I don't need to read God's word every day. As mentioned earlier, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It just doesn't make sense to say that about Scripture and then say, I don't want any of that sweetness on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Sunday is enough for me. If that's the language of our heart, Bible on Sunday is all that I need, then surely that's a sign that something is wrong. I would wonder if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. 1 Peter 2 says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Do you crave the word of God? with the hunger that a newborn infant has for his mother's milk. Have you tasted it? If you've so tasted, you're going to want one, more than one helping every seven days. All that being said, simply reading the Bible is not enough. 
I'm aware of no command in the Bible to merely read the Bible. However, many times we are called to meditate on God's word. Psalm 119, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. What does it mean to meditate? It it means to ponder, uh, to turn it over in our minds, to think about it, to dwell on it, to relate it to other biblical truths. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 7, Think over, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It's a promise. It is the Lord who gives understanding, but we are the ones that must do the thinking. We think he gives understanding. That's what it means to meditate. It does no good to read the Bible, to run your eyes over the page, and then not think about it again. That is hardly profitable. Maybe as you read, maybe one verse sticks out. Maybe it's especially prominent. Uh, Meditate on that verse throughout the day. Maybe write it down on a piece of paper. Carry it with you throughout the day. Bring it back. Think about it. Memorize it. Ponder it and relate it to your circumstances. Colossians 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in us. To know God's word, we've got to meditate on God's word. Secondly, we've got to memorize God's word. Meditate, memorize. Never memorizing scripture is like carrying precious water in a sieve. The preciousness and pleasantness of scripture is not mainly having it in a book, but having it in your heart and mind. I'm going to read that again. The preciousness and pleasantness of Scripture is not mainly having it in a book, but having it in your heart and mind. It does no good if honey is sweet, yet if it simply stays on the shelf. It's got to be experienced on your tongue. Why memorize Scripture? Memorizing Scripture enables us to meditate on Scripture because it's always in our mind. Memorizing Scripture allows us to encourage and minister to others with words of Scripture when others are in need. Memorizing Scripture shapes the way we think by conforming our mind to God's wisdom. Memorizing Scripture guards our minds by allowing it to detect errors and distortions the world promotes. Memorizing Scripture strengthens faith because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Memorizing Scripture helps us in our fight against sin by giving us precious promises to cling to in moments of temptation. Psalm 119, once again, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you struggle with indwelling sin? Have you memorized promises from God's sacred word to cling to in the fight? The word is the sword of the spirit. It's useless if you don't know it. There is no secret to memorizing scripture. I have no magic program. Uh, It just takes time and effort and desire. 
That's, that's really all. You've got to want to do it. I, 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 uh, you know, I write it down. I write, write it down a lot, and then write it down some more. It just takes time, effort, and desire. You can do it. It is possible. Maybe start with the psalm. Maybe start with the first psalm. Psalm chapter, Psalm 1. That's a good place to start. Pastor Tim Keller writes this. Now I have to ask you, if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not presume to face the forces of evil in the world without a profound knowledge of the Bible in mind and heart, how could we try to face life any other way? It's true that this takes a great deal of time and effort. Worship, daily reading, meditation and memorization, singing, listening to teaching, all of these are necessary to become as acquainted with the scriptures as we must be. And when we are under attack, which we will be, tempted to sin or to be discouraged or to just give up altogether, it is then that we must wrestle the words and promises of the Bible into the center of our being. Know the word. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And thirdly, we must mind it. Just because it had to start with M. You've got to mind it or obey. Meditate, memorize, and mind or obey. It does no good to meditate on and memorize God's word if you're not going to obey it. There are many commands in the Bible. No mistake about it. It's filled with commands. The Great Commission calls us to make disciples and to teach them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. We are called to obey the Bible. Psalm 119, once again. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. We must submit to God's word as God's word, as that which has authority, because it proceeds from God. If we do not submit to it, we prove that we don't really know God. But, but what is at the heart? What is at the heart of Christian obedience? What motivates a Christian to obey? Christian obedience is not an effort to earn God's favor or merit his love. That is not what it is. At the heart of Christian obedience is a love for God overflowing from a new heart in response to what God has done. Christianity is not a willpower religion. It is not a religion of making decisions to do what you do not want to do. It is a supernatural work of God in which you are born again and God gives you a new heart. God takes hearts that are in love with the world and everything in the world and he puts them in love with Christ and the gospel so that you love God more than you love anything. A new heart means new joys, new passions, new desires, new affections, new longings, new appetites. New things make you happy. You have been changed. You are no longer the same person. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In order to be a Christian, God must give you a new heart. That's what the new birth is. This is normal Christianity. However, no Christian obeys perfectly. The old self lingers. However, the words of Christ don't dwell in us without effect. 
you are a different person, a new creation, with a desire to please your Father in heaven and obey him because you love him. You delight to please the one you love. 1 John 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Loving God, knowing God, means keeping his commandments in such a way that his commandments are not burdensome. Because loving God is being so delighted in all that he is for us that his commandments cease to be burdensome. The great hymn writer wrote, Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Prayerful meditation, memorization, and obedience. This is how we know God's word. This is how we guard ourselves from believing distortions of God's word. This is how we know him. Alrighty, let's land this airplane. <laughs> Gonna do it. J.I. Packer, J.I. Packer writes this. To be preoccupied with getting theological knowledge as an end in itself. To approach Bible study with no higher a motive than a desire to know all of the answers is the direct route to a state of self-satisfied self-deception. Our aim in studying must be to know God himself better. Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrines of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. Do you know him? Do you know his book? Have you met him in his word? Do you know what pleases him? Do you know what he's like? Do you know what he's love? What he loves? Do you love what he loves? The Bible is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it affirms, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, and embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. Affirmed, obeyed, embraced. As a new school year begins shortly, will you make it a priority this year to press on, to strive, to work, to know him this year, to read his word, Will you pray that God would open his book to you? Can we be men and women of the book? Can we be a church that is marked by our love for God and love for his word, meditating on it daily, memorizing it faithfully, and minding it joyfully? And when God's word does abide in us, when it takes root, it doesn't leave us unchanged. It produces faith and holiness and love for our neighbors. Do you know our Lord? And lastly, Don Carson writes this. Since God created the universe, we are accountable to him. And he has authoritatively spoken in the Bible. Desiring merely to master the text is not enough. We must desire to be mastered by it. For one day, we will give an account to the one who says this. These are the ones I look on with favor those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. May this be true of all of us in this room today. 
Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, almighty God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word which you gave us. You gave it to us so that we would know you. Thank you for your word. I pray that we would love it, that we would cling to it, that we would read it and meditate on it and memorize it and obey us, that you would incite in all of us a desire to know you and to know you more. Father in heaven, I pray that we would be a church that is marked by our love for you and our love for your word, that we would speak it to one another. Thank you for this day that you've given us. Bless us as we go from this place. In Christ's name I pray, amen.